Coming up, a new Northwestern study links COVID super spreader risk to restaurants, gyms, and hotels. They've challenged Americans to recognize that we're at war and to act accordingly. The virus is winning the war right now. And Moody's is nervous about the O'Hare expansion. The ratings agency warns that pushing ahead with new terminal construction would send airport landing fees soaring. Cranes reporter John Pletz joins the podcast today to talk more about it. What Moody's is sort of cautioning is this isn't a normal economic downturn. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist. It's Wednesday, November 11th. When it comes to a professional like your doctor or lawyer, you want someone who knows you well. Wintrust believes you should have the same relationship with your banker, someone you can call directly and know they'll understand your concerns. Thousands of local business owners called their Wintrust banker when they needed Paycheck Protection Program loans. They called, Wintrust answered, and helped more than 11,000 local businesses secure funding. Learn more at Wintrust.com slash Daily Gist. Member FDIC. I'm joined now by Cranes reporter John Pletz here to talk a little bit more about the O'Hare expansion. You and I have talked about this before, but Moody's has weighed in on that. Tell me about what they've said and where that leaves the project. Well, Moody's is just expressing caution about going ahead with the project. You know, the expansion of the terminals or the terminal project at O'Hare is in its earliest phases. So they're, you know, doing the early design and environmental studies. They really aren't all that far along. And so they aren't incurring any costs yet, but they're scheduled at some point to issue bonds. And if they do that, they would they will start uh, running up those finance costs. And what Moody's is expressing is, given the downturn we've had and the impact that's having on the airlines, is that they ought to think about whether or not they want to push ahead on the original schedule. So the airport really hasn't said, and Moody's is is simply saying, you know, is this project going to go ahead? Or is it not? And here are the concerns we have if, if it does. And what specific concerns did they name? And, and did they indicate maybe how long they would recommend the project being delayed? Not really. The concerns that they have are, given COVID, you know, your traffic's going to be down 6% this year. And it's going to come back next year, but it's going to be maybe 2024 before you're back to last year's levels. From an airport standpoint, the decline in traffic is problematic because the carriers are paying fees based on the amount of flights or the amount of traffic. So if you've got a lot fewer flights, it really drives up their costs. And the pandemic is already really putting pressure on the airlines. They've had to borrow billions of dollars. And Moody's is just saying, is this really the time you want to push forward with billions more in debt? Or do you wait a bit for the traffic to recover? Earlier in this process, that date had already been moved out once. What does this add to that, potentially? Well, the question is whether or not they want to push that timetable out. And the challenge for the city is, with 
big infrastructure projects, you sort of take the long view that if you needed it before, you're eventually going to need it. And if you sort of drive your project by the individual economic cycles, that's dangerous. What Moody's is sort of cautioning is this isn't a normal economic downturn. So that schedule that the airport originally came up with was developed a few years ago. And the airport commissioner told us a few months ago that they're flexible. They've already been flexible, nothing's set in stone. We just haven't really heard much since then. You know, recently they refinanced some bonds and the city put in its in its note that the date was subject to change pending COVID and some other things. But the city itself really hasn't said whether we're going to slow this down or not. And the airlines really haven't said anything either. So everybody's just sort of wondering, you know, is this still on target for the same original schedule or is it going to slide out a bit? You're going to incur a lot of debt while the airlines are still struggling financially. Is that something you really want to do? And beyond just the impact you're putting on the carriers here, when you go forward with a project like that, that costs that much money, and traffic is either at or below the levels you expected, it actually makes your landing fees more expensive than other airports. And that's something you always worry about. Explain a bit more about that, about landing fees and how that's calculated and how that would make it higher than other airports. Airports like O'Hare have these, what's called a residual use agreement. Whatever the costs are to run the airport, the airlines pay the bulk of that. And things like concessions, you know, lower that bill. But basically, they divide up the cost of running the airport based on the traffic that came through the airport. So if you have fewer flights in a given year because of a downturn, but the cost of the airport, including the debt service, didn't go down, those landing fees go up. And whenever you have a big expansion project, and these are in the billions of dollars, it will drive up the landing fees for a long period of time because you pay back those bonds over you know, decades. And O'Hare knew this, and the airlines knew that you know, their landing fees were going to go up. And that's happened at some other big airports around the country that have done major construction projects, you know, such as LAX. But in this case, what, what they're saying is those landing fees at O'Hare are going to be higher than many other airports. They'll be in the ballpark of some of the competitors like LAX, but they'll be a lot higher than places like Dallas-Fort Worth or Denver, which are also home to hubs for United and American, who are the two biggest carriers at O'Hare. So you don't want to drive your costs up to where you're more expensive than the other airports that the carriers use. So you mentioned United, and you've done some reporting lately about how United is kind of taking this moment of downturn to do a lot of revamping. I realize this is kind of a detour from our conversation about O'Hare, but perhaps not that much of a detour. 
Do you expect to see that same kind of move from other airlines, other carriers right now of kind of taking advantage of the of a quieter time? Because it seems a bit risky to be investing in your fleet and in your services in a moment with so much uncertainty. Well, what the big carriers are doing is betting that they can come out of the downturn and pick up some market share. That business is going to return. And this is a good time to jump on that and try and win back some market share, win back some business. The good news for Chicago is United and Southwest are among the carriers who are who have signals that they're going to be very aggressive, as will American, the other big carrier O'Hare. So Chicago could be a big winner, but even if traffic's going to recover, it's going to take time for it to recover to what it was before. And that's where you look at sort of the assumptions you were making on the expansion at O'Hare, on what you thought traffic levels were going to be. And clearly, they're not going to be where everybody expected. So do you sort of reset and rethink the pace of that project? They're in the earliest phases, and this is what Moody's has pointed at that you have the opportunity to slow down because you haven't incurred those costs yet. Once you sell the bonds, you're going to start paying the finance costs, so you may as well push ahead. O'Hare is actually in a very good position where this is all playing out in front of them. I mean, had they been two, three years further into the process when COVID hit, there would be nothing they could do. I mean, at that point, you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound. As you mentioned, kind of at the point that bonds are sold, that's sort of the point of no return, then, then you're in, you're doing it. What was, what was the schedule for that bond sale? When was that supposed to happen originally? Well, fortunately, it's done in installments. So they were going to raise roughly a billion dollars a year from 2019 to 2024. And they hadn't sold, they hadn't done those bond sales yet. So they, you know, they have the flexibility to wait and, and put a little time kick in. And this happened, um, I don't think so much by design, but by circumstance to the previous expansion in O'Hare where they've, you know, they've added and rebuilt the runways. That project actually took quite a bit longer than they had originally expected. And, you know, they had a major downturn, had some lawsuits that delayed things. And eventually the project got done, more or less, you know, sort of on target. And they probably have the same opportunity here. I wouldn't be surprised if if the original schedule, which was developed several years ago in a completely different environment, you know, slides a bit. And maybe it takes a few years longer to complete. I do think it will happen. One thing that's unique about the O'Hare project is, unlike some of the other airport expansions that we've seen already put on hold because of COVID, this was not a case of if we build it, they will come. This was a situation in which they're trying to replace an old terminal, Terminal 2, and straighten out a problem that the airlines want straightened out, and that's United and American are able to send their international passengers out of their own terminals. But those people fly back in through Terminal 5. So if you've got a connecting flight, you're running you know, between terminals that aren't anywhere close, 
And so that problem's got to get fixed. Terminal 2 is something like 50 years old. It's going to need to be replaced. So I think this project will get done. The question is just when and how much and at what pace. And so if a delay is going to happen, when do you expect to see signs pointing to that? And what will those signs be? I don't really know other than we aren't seeing the bond sales that were scheduled to happen. That's probably the clearest sign that they're not in a big hurry. Hmm. And it may very well be having conversations with the carriers who pay the bills at the airport, which makes total sense. And generally, the airport's not in the habit of talking about those discussions while they're having it. But I don't know exactly at what point the city will say affirmatively, here's the new schedule. So far, they haven't. And that's, and that's one of the things that Moody's was simply pointing out is, based on what we're hearing, which is nothing, you appear to be going ahead on the same schedule you had. And given that we've had this massive pandemic, which has really, really hurt the airline industry, why isn't anybody talking about whether they ought to be making changes to that schedule? That's really what Moody's is saying. Indeed. Well, we will keep turning to you for the latest. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk it through today. Appreciate your time. Glad to do it. Thanks, Amy. Coming up, Chicago is set to launch a new COVID travel advisory system. Starting Friday, states will fall into one of three categories to determine whether visitors and returning Chicagoans must simply maintain social distancing or if they need to quarantine for 14 days. We'll talk about that and more right after this. Thompson Coburn LLP is a national law firm whose Chicago attorneys have represented some of Chicago's largest public and privately held companies in a variety of corporate and litigation legal matters. Thompson Coburn attorneys deliver exceptional legal guidance to publicly and closely held businesses, financial institutions, and sole and family proprietorships across nearly every major industry and business sector. Thompson Coburn is all about total commitment to its clients, its people, and its community. Remember, that your business deserves legal advisors and litigators who are totally committed to your success. You're listening to Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Guth. According to a study that used mobile phone data from 98 million people to model the risks of infection at different locations, the reopening of restaurants, gyms, and hotels carries the highest danger of spreading COVID-19. Researchers at Northwestern and Stanford used data collected between March and May in cities across the U.S. to map the movement of people, looking at where they went, how long they stayed, how many others were there, and what neighborhoods they came from. They then combined that with data on the number of cases and how the virus spreads to create infection models. For example, in Chicago, the study's model predicted that if restaurants were reopened at full capacity, they would generate almost 600,000 new infections, which is three times as many as with other categories. The study, which was published Tuesday in the journal Nature, also found that about 10% of the locations examined accounted for 85% of predicted infections. In an opinion piece published at the same time in Nature, two experts at the Harvard School of Public Health wrote that there's limited epidemiological data on how interventions 
populations curb infections. Such models, they said, can act as a starting point to guide policy decisions about reopening. The models produced in the study also suggested that masks, social distancing, and reduced capacity all can play a major role in keeping things under control with the virus. For example, according to the study, capping occupancy at 20% in locations in the Chicago metro area cut down on predicted new infections in the study by more than 80%. And because the occupancy caps pretty much only impacted the number of visits that typically occur during peak hours at places, the restaurants only lost 42% of patrons overall. Reducing maximum occupancy numbers, the study suggests, may be more effective than less targeted measures at curbing the virus while also offering economic benefit. Without virus mitigation measures, one of the authors of the study said they predicted that a third of the population might be infected with the virus. When they fit their model into publicly available data for the daily number of infections, the researchers found that it could predict epidemic trajectories better than other models. The idea that restaurants may be feeding a new wave of infections as they open up isn't unique to this study, however. J.P. Morgan Chase on Monday said that they found the level of in-person spending in restaurants three weeks ago was the strongest predictor of where new cases would emerge. Similarly, higher spending in supermarkets indicated a slower spread, suggesting that shoppers in those regions may be living more cautiously. That, according to researchers at the firm, which tracks spending of about 30 million Chase cardholders. But as for the study. The authors of it said they hope that all these layers of data can be combined into a national virus dashboard that could help policymakers create smarter and more targeted policies for virus mitigation, and also advocated using fitness trackers as another way to flag potential virus hotspots. The Chicago Symphony Orchestra reported at its annual Board of Trustees meeting a $4.4 million operating deficit for its fiscal year, compared to $1.1 million last year. The deficit is the highest the organization has seen since 2002, when it came in at $6.1 million. And combined with other cost-cutting measures, pay cuts which are now stretching into 2021 have saved the orchestra $10.5 million for the fiscal year ended June 30th. CSO reported total revenues from ticket sales, operations, and contributions Contributions were just under 63 million and expenses were just over 67 million, down from a forecast of nearly 780 million. Last year, total operating expenses were just north of 70 million, again slightly above 69 million in total revenues. Ticket sales for the CSO totaled 12.5 million, representing a decline of 6 million from the 2018-19 season and is a reflection of concert cancellations. But the CSO is certainly not the only arts organization hurt by the pandemic. Cash and cash equivalents at the Lyric Opera shrunk to just over $3 million in 2020, compared to nearly $4.5 million in 2019. The organization representing Chicago's labor unions has released a city budget plan that it says can avoid layoffs while helping the city save between 195 and 276 million. The Chicago Federation of Labor recommendations were shared with the mayor's office and aldermen just a few weeks before Mayor Lightfoot's office expects a final vote on the mayor's plan to patch a $1.2 billion budget gap. Lightfoot's proposal includes layoffs of up to 330 city workers this spring if the federal government does 
doesn't come through on a stimulus agreement. A spokesperson for the mayor said the city is still reviewing the details of the recommendations, but that much of the report reflects efforts that were already implemented as part of the 2020 budget or are included in the 2021 budget proposal under current consideration by the city council. She also said in a statement, quote, we look forward to continuing this dialogue with our partners in labor and to keeping the lines of communication open about elements from the report we could implement as we work to make the difficult but responsible budget decisions necessary to keep Chicago on a path toward long-term growth. City officials are more optimistic for another round of stimulus funding, with President-elect Joe Biden headed to the White House. Some aldermen are working to prevent layoffs, as well as the $94 million hike in the city's property tax levy, which historically is a sore spot for aldermen. The Chicago Federation of Labor's Director of Legislation and Politics told Alderman the pandemic has blown a hole in the city's finances and, quote, we need to come together to find solutions to get us back on track, continuing in the statement by saying, but the one thing we cannot do is to inflict devastating workforce cuts on the women and men who continue to sacrifice so much during this ongoing pandemic. The 32-page report suggests that the city was not as cooperative as the CFL would have liked, saying the document is tentative, due in part to an inability to work in an ongoing fashion with city officials. The report was developed by Public Works, which is a firm that offers structured performance reviews of government agencies. Chicago is revamping its quarantine travel advisory amid a surge in COVID-19 cases. The Chicago Department of Public Health announced that under the new emergency travel order, which takes effect on Friday, states will fall into one of three categories to decide whether visitors and returning Chicagoans need to simply maintain social distancing or if they need to quarantine for 14 days. According to the system, yellow, orange, and red state classifications replace the city's previous threshold of more than 15 new cases per day per 100,000 residents. Chicago's travel order includes 43 states in Puerto Rico, but we are introducing a new tiered risk level. There are states in red, there are states in orange, and there are states in yellow. Red at the high level means states that are having outbreaks that are worse than Chicago's. Orange mean states that are having outbreaks that are currently better than Chicago's, but still more than 15 cases per 100,000 per day, still significant concern for travel and spread of COVID during travel. Yellow represents the very few remaining states in the United States that still have fewer than 15 uh, cases per 100,000 per day. CDPH Commissioner Dr. Allison Arwady told reporters the next two months will be the most difficult in the COVID fight and that she is increasingly concerned about capacity in the city's ICUs and about healthcare staffing as cases climb. She said, quote, compared to one month ago, we have almost three times as many people in Chicago hospitals not in the ICU with COVID-19. Compared to one month ago, we have almost three times as many people in the ICU with COVID-19 and compared to one month ago, we have nearly three times as many people on ventilators. She continued, quote, there are between 100,000 and 145,000 Chicagoans with active infectious COVID right now. That means still gatherings continue to pose significant health risks, even small gatherings. A vaccine will not be widely available for several months at least, and Arwady also said she has not seen Chicagoans taking mask wearing as seriously as they should. Chicago's test positivity rate is 13%, and the city is seeing more than 1,600 
100 new daily cases based on a seven-day rolling average, a higher rate than at any other time during the pandemic, that according to CDPH. But as for the travel order, it now includes 43 states and Puerto Rico and will be updated next week and then every two weeks after that. People found violating the order are subject to fines of 100 to 500 bucks per day and up to $7,000 total, according to CDPH. Exceptions include travel for medical care and parental shared custody, as well as business travel to Chicago for essential workers. And that's Crane's Daily Gist for now. Our continuous news feed lives at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to our guest today, Crane's reporter, John Pletz. Be sure to subscribe to these conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your audio on demand. And find hashtag Crane's Daily Gist on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And let's continue talking there about these and other business stories. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.